Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Sally. Let me, uh, let me start by showing you something or, or saying something that many of you will have heard before. It's not only how you start that matters, it's also how you finish that counts. And as we come to the end of part one of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter six, what we find and what we discover is an elderly man who is still keeping the faith. An elderly man who is still reflecting a deep faith, who's still passionately sold out for God. Daniel 6 is one of the best known chapters in the entire Bible. But many of the graphic images that you come across portray Daniel in the lion's den as a young man or, or at the very least middle-aged. And yet by the time you get to this stage in his story, Daniel is old. He, he's well into his 80s. And, and so this is, is a far more accurate kind of picture and image from many that you will come across. And reflecting on, on Daniel's journey, Jared Kelly writes, from tenacious teenager to provocative pensioner, Daniel proves across the years that faith can thrive in exile. Are you a tenacious teenager this morning? Or a provocative pensioner? Daniel not only started well, he finished well. And the question is, what about us? What about us? Many of us who are in this room this morning have started out on this Christian journey. We've been running for years. The question is, are we going to finish well? If you have a Bible with you, or if you have your phone with a Bible on it, can I encourage you to turn to Daniel chapter 6. It's page 890 in the Pew Bibles. And in a moment, we're going to stand for the public reading of God's word. But can I say one more thing before we do that? And it says, Daniel 6 is the last of the historical narratives in this Old Testament book. And a number of weeks ago, I stood up here and I said, we are stopping after chapter 6 at the halfway point. But due to, now I was going to say popular demand, but I think a more accurate version of the truth would be due to subtle and substantial pressure <laughs> from a number of people, I am going to continue and venture into the second half of Daniel, into the visions and into the so-called end times stuff. Now, I'm not going there next week. I'm not going there during December. We need an Advent series in focus. No one needs apocalyptic eschatology at Christmas. <laughs> But on Sunday morning, the 3rd of January, we are going to have a go at looking at Daniel chapter 7, and then we're going to take it from there. This actually may be the perfect way to sort out our space issue on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so anyway, let's, uh, can I invite you to stand with me for the public reading of God's word? Daniel chapter 6, such a well-known story. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this 
The chief ministers and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree, put it in writing, so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group from found Daniel praying and asking God for help, and then they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish the decree that during the next 30 days anyone prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of your exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And a stone was brought, and it was placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. And first light of dawn, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den, and when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out, no wound was found on him. And at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in, were thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. And then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language on all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he's the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues, he saves, he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Grab a seat. Let me, uh, let me share another quote. A committed life of private prayer is more than a Christian duty or routine. 
It is a bedrock of wisdom. We will need to navigate the conflicts of a complex world. Someone has uh, made the comment that if you were to cut Daniel's life wide open, you'd find prayer running through it. And so this morning what I want to ask is if, if people were to cut our lives open, what would they find running through it? What is it that characterizes you and me? What is it that makes us different? What is it that sets us apart? For those who've been following this series, you'll know that as we've engaged with Daniel's story, we've been asking this question, this kind of heart-searching important question. How deep is your faith? How deep is your faith? I shared the very first week of the series, my fear is to lead a church that's a mile wide and an inch deep. My fear is to lead a church that's a mile wide, but an inch deep. How deep is your faith? Because right from the word go, right from the beginning of this book, we have witnessed four people, Daniel and his three friends, who despite living and breathing and working in a hostile culture, a thoroughly pagan and godless context, here were four people who kept the faith. Their faith didn't just survive, it thrived. And so we've been asking ourselves, well, what, what was it about these four men's faith that helped them to not only keep it, but to grow, to go deeper? And so we have discovered that deep people engage with culture but know where to draw the lines. Deep people know and believe that in spite of appearances, in spite of Paris, Mali, Beirut, in spite of all that, God's still in control. Deep people speak with wisdom and tact. They express their faith in the face of adversity. Deep people praise God. Deep people point others towards God. And this morning... I do want to draw attention from Daniel 6 to the obvious point, the one you'd expect me to make, that deep people are praying people. Their lives are, are marked by the spiritual discipline, the holy habit of dialogue with God, one-to-one -one conversation with their heavenly Father. That characterizes every deep person I know. But before we look at that, let, let me just track the story because there are a few other characteristics of deep people that I want us to look at before we get to this one. And so as you track this story, there's a new king in the throne, Darius the Mede, and he divvies up his kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appoints a high officer over each one, and then he sets aside three figureheads who are going to supervise the 120 others. But... Daniel is specifically earmarked for an even greater position of responsibility. But as a result of that, a killer kicks in. A killer called jealousy and envy. One of the seven deadly sins. The one that wrecks 
lives and relationships. And here in Daniel 6, jealousy is alive and well. The other administrators and high officers, all 120 of them, can't cope with Daniel's rise to power. They can't cope with his appointment and his recognition and his success. And so they start digging for dirt. They start looking for a reason to badmouth him and take him down a peg or two. And jealousy does that. You feel it, and then you begin to act out on those feelings, or you wallow in those feelings. And those feelings then start to consume you. And before you know it, you're doing things, you're saying things, you're thinking things that kind of attack others, undermine others, dismantle them or run them down. See, jealousy is such an ugly such an ugly sin. It's a negative emotion that damages the heart. And therefore, it's no wonder the Bible's got lots to say about it, lots of really strong words about this danger of what Paul describes as a work of the flesh. I want to give you a couple of examples of some of the strong things the Bible says about it. And notice how it affects us, not only spiritually, but this actually affects us physically. Proverbs 14.30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Jealousy and envy, envy mess with you physically. James 3, for where jealous and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Jealousy is a killer. And in Daniel 6, we meet 120 people who are riddled with it. But notice what we quickly discover about Daniel's character that actually restricts the potential havoc that's caused by their envy. Look at verse 4. Because it turns out they couldn't, no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn about Daniel. And then this phrase comes at the beginning of verse 5, and I want to show you it in the New Living Translation, and it says this, Daniel was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. Those are three more features of deep people. Deep people are faithful. Deep people are responsible. Deep people can be trusted. And I know we could spend the rest of this sermon unpacking each of those. But I do want to move on. Although, let me encourage you to take a moment. To stare into the mirror of God's word. And see what it reflects back. Are we these kind of people. Is this how people would describe you and I? Faithful, responsible, completely trustworthy. Jealousy doesn't let up. The 120 high officers don't give up. They, they just change tact. And so what they decide to do is they now decide, because they, they can't find anything wrong with this guy, He is a man of integrity. And so they decide to shift their focus. 
They go for what they know is important to Daniel, his faith. They decide to attack him at the point of his relationship with his God. And so they come up with this kind of twisted plan and idea to hit him where it hurts. And so they suggest to King Darius, probably appealing to his vanity, that anyone who prays to any other God or human being during the next 30 days other than the king should be thrown to the lions. And Darius embraces this proposal. And therefore it becomes a decree and it gets written down and is now non-negotiable, it's now law. And what we find here are some similarities between Daniel's dilemma in chapter 6 and his three friends' dilemma in chapter 3, although there's a subtle difference between the two dilemmas. In chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship a false god. In chapter 6, Daniel refuses to stop worshiping the real god. And so if you kind of take those two chapters and you mesh them together, what you learn is we have got to avoid false worship on one hand and we've got to embrace the worship of the one true God on the other hand. And here's the bit, no matter what the cost. Because for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not worshiping a false God had extreme consequences. For Daniel, not refusing to worship the one true God had extreme consequences. Avoid worshiping false gods. Make sure you worship the true God, no matter how much it costs you. And then the scene shifts. And it goes from royal court where this decree's been issued to a private dwelling house. And Daniel's at home, and somehow, not exactly sure how, but somehow word gets to him regarding the decree. And what does he do? Well, he does what he always does. He goes upstairs and he prays. There's no record in the narrative of any inner turmoil or any thoughts of Daniel taking a month off or thinking, do you know something? I'll, I'll kind of set this practice aside for a month. He simply climbs the stairs and he gets down on his knees before an open window. And so there's, there's no hiding this. And the key phrase, the six words that communicate everything, that provide the kind of critical insight into deep people. Six words. Just as he had done before. You see, for Daniel, this was a pattern. This was part of his routine. And irrespective of a changing environment, irrespective of changing circumstances or heightened risk or threatening consequences, Daniel prayed just as he had done before. It was normal. It's just natural. And so as one commentator has observed and noted, this was a consistent habit, a conspicuous habit, a committed habit, and this morning when all is said and done, that's my challenge to us as a congregation. Is prayer a consistent, conspicuous, committed habit in our personal lives and in our corporate life? 
consistent. You see, there was this well-established, unbroken daily cycle in Daniel's prayer practice. Prayer, if you like, was hardwired into his circuitry. If you cut him open, it's what was running through him. And even a 30-day ban with extreme consequences was not going to disrupt that. Three times a day, every day, Daniel prayed. And I know that for some people, that is a helpful framework. Morning, noon, evening prayer. The daily office, as it's called. Many of you know that I attempt to go on an annual retreat to the Benedictine Monastery in Ross Trevor. One of the best and most challenging aspects of that experience is the daily prayer cycle, the invitation to join with others five times a day for prayer, 6.45 a.m., 11.30 a.m., 2.15 p.m., 5.30 p.m., 8.30 p.m. Now, I'm not suggesting. I'm not standing up here this morning promoting the need to pray three times plus a day. But based on Daniel's story, I am asking us, and I am asking myself, and I've been... I'm being incredibly hard hard on myself. And I need to be. Is getting down on our knees in private conversation and dialogue with our Heavenly Father at least once a day, is that a regular practice? Now remember, because what I know I want to say in reaction to this sometimes is, yeah, but I kind of am really busy. Daniel was an activist. Daniel was a busy professional with a demanding daily schedule. Daniel had this high position in national government. He wouldn't have had a lot of free or downtime. But you see, prayer was a priority. And therefore, he made time for it. And the question I've been asking myself this week, and I know know this is simple stuff. This is kind of Christianity 101. But in our busy lives, is daily prayer a consistent habit? Secondly, a conspicuous habit. In other words, it was evident There was nothing hidden about Daniel's prayer life. Yes, the window was open, and so maybe people did actually see Daniel on his knees at prayer three times a day. But for me, the reason we know that Daniel's prayer life was evident to others, that it was noticeable, it was public knowledge, so to speak, was because it was because of the high officials' twisted plan and subsequent royal decree. They knew Daniel was a man of prayer. His reputation went before him. Everyone knew Daniel was a man of prayer. And therefore, if we're going to get at this man, we can't do anything regarding his character. He's faithful. He's responsible. He's completely trustworthy. He's a man of integrity with no dirt to dig up on him. But do you know what we do know about him? He prays. So let's hit him there. Let's get him there. And so they come up with this particular idea. Because they know Daniel can't go one day, never mind 30, without doing 
Again, six words, just as he had done before. And again, the question I've been asking myself this week, am I known as a man of prayer? Are you, are you known as a man or woman of prayer? Do others identify this practice, this habit, as part of your daily life? What or where is the evidence that prayer is a conspicuous habit? And then finally, it was a committed habit. You see, Daniel's enemies probably struggled to understand why he did it. Why, why was this man so wholehearted about prayer? Probably didn't really understand why. But it's pretty clear that no doubt he was committed to it. And they knew that he's unlikely to break the pattern for any reason. The decree was sure to catch him out, but you know what? It wasn't going to change him. In fact, for Daniel, it almost seems that prayer was more precious than life. Have you thought about this? Prayer is more precious than life because here was a guy who was prepared to sacrifice his physical life and face the lions rather than compromise his prayer life. See, that, that, that's commitment. That's commitment. Cut this guy's life open and prayer's running through it. And nothing and no one is going to change that. So is prayer a consistent, conspicuous, committed habit? And if not, what choices are we going to make to install it or bring it back to that kind of place in our daily routine? Because deep people are people of prayer. Back to the story, and I'm nearly done. And I know there's so much I could say in addition to what I have said in terms of the rest of this chapter, but do you know as I've thought about this? I kind of don't want us walking out of here with an image of Daniel in the lion's den and what happened. The image I want us to walk out of here with this morning is Daniel on his knees. Just Daniel at prayer. And Darius kind of says a prayer. He says, may your God, and again, here's an insight into Daniel's character, whom you serve continually, may your God rescue you. And Darius can't sleep. Can't even watch TV. Can't even enjoy any form of entertainment. And he runs down the next morning to the den. And he cries out, has your God, Daniel, and again he says that phrase, has your God, Daniel, whom you serve continually, rescued you? And Daniel walks out without a scratch. And this morning, as we finish, I want us to finish with the words of Darius. Because you see, whenever Daniel walks out, Darius issues two more decrees. 
or sorry, does two more things. One is he issues a decree and the next is he praises God. And the first decree is, and the first thing he does is he says, listen, I want everybody to reverence the God of Daniel. And then the next thing he does is he praises God. And so this morning, I want us to just take the words of Darius's praise and say them together at the end of this service. So can I invite you to join me and say these words? For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And this is our God. And our faith is in him. And provided we keep our eyes fixed on him, provided we maintain focus on the living, eternal, saving, rescuing, powerful God, we, like Daniel and his friends, have every chance of keeping the faith and finishing well. And one of the key ways that we maintain the focus and keep the faith and finish well is through consistent, conspicuous, committed prayer.